Well, good afternoon. I just need to introduce my wife, Azalea. Just stand for a moment so people can know who you are. She doesn't like this part. <laughs> but uh, she's the reason that, I, that I'm able to, to minister. Um, you'll notice that I do walk with a bit of a limp. Um, some people call me Jacob. Um, but um, it's because... June 1st will be two years since I had a stroke that left me paralyzed on, on my left-hand side. And uh, God has miraculously healed me. Um, on the 16th of December, I had a second stroke. Um, last year, um, I got COVID. I had a second stroke that affected my memory. And, and I'm basically learning, relearning scripture and stuff. And so I do forget names and I uh, don't always recognize people, so I apologize for that. But um, because I had the second stroke, my brother now calls me two-stroke. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. <laughs> yeah, with a brother like that, who needs enemies, eh? I want to say from the start that... There's a difference between heaviness and weightiness. And as we've been worshipping, I felt a weightiness. And you might feel it as well. It's not a heaviness. Heaviness is not from God. I sense the heaviness of the presence of God. And I sense that he's about to do something in some people's lives. And Kevin walked up to me and said, are you ready to preach? I said, yeah, I think God's going to rattle some cages here today. And I sincerely believe that. So, buckle up. There's some turbulence ahead. We're going to read a portion of scripture that I'm sure everybody reads before breakfast every morning. Um, and it's Genesis 3. The well-known Genesis 3. Oopsie. And I'm going to do it slightly in reverse, so, so just, we're going to do the first half, if we can, of Genesis 3, but I'm going to read, I'm going to read a, the one part that, that stands out to me, and it's verse 9. And it says this, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was, I was afraid because I was naked. I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I've commanded you not to eat? We're going to deal with this question that God asked man, and I believe God is still asking man today. Where are you? And it's not because God is lost. Because it's not because God doesn't know where he is. There's, there's something of a spiritual audit that God expects us to do today. Because you can be in the presence of God, yet living far from God. You can be in, in a, a fellowship, you can be in a community, and we have this wonderful ability of putting on a facade, looking like we're happy, and we're not. As a matter of fact, as we worship, just be, as the last song played, I had a, a picture, and I think it's a prophetic word for somebody here. You might not have, have gotten up or put your hand up for healing. But I saw a picture of a, of a, 
a bull that is really upset. The proverbial bull in a china shop. And maybe still this morning before you came here, you were like a bull in a china shop. People around you are walking very, very gently and, and on thin ice because they're not sure how you're going to respond next. But you pulled it all together and you're here today and we say thank God that you're here today because God can change that. God can deal with that. So if God asks you, where are you? Then you have to, to respond to God and say, Lord, I'm not, I'm not quite where you want me to be. And in that way, I, I feel that God's going to deal with it various people in this room. So, so let's look at, at where are you. Put the emphasis on where. And that where are you, the response of some might be, uh, Lord, I'm actually nowhere. I'm going through the motions. I'm, I'm just ticking the boxes. And God wants to change that. We cannot, we're not here to tick boxes. We're not working for a courier company. We are here because God wants to use us and God has got a purpose for us. And it is important that we live in the purposes and the plans that God has for us. So if God asks you, where are you? He's not talking about your geographical position. He's talking about your relationship with Him. Are you in good relationship with God? But then you have to ask yourself immediately, am I in good relationship with God, with myself, and with others as well? And I just the sense as I prepared for this morning that, that God, is, God is challenging us in the, in, in the realm of our relationship with Him. And sometimes we get that right. Sometimes we, we get it right to, 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 do, to tick all the boxes in terms of our spirituality. But in our relationship with others, our spouses, our children, we are nowhere. Or we come short. So the question here is today, how are you doing in your marriage? God's asking you, where are you? How are you doing in your marriage? Are you just ticking the boxes, just going through the ritual? Or actually, is your marriage glorifying God? Is normally this quiet in here? <laughs> Do I have to put a sign up when people say amen? Oh, oh there we go. But listen, listen, it's, it's, about, it's about your relationship, even with your neighbors with your children, with those that you don't know that are watching you. So where are you? Are you, just, are you just here because it's the right place to be? And I believe it's the right place to be. But have you come, have you come because you want to meet with God? Or because you just want to satisfy that nagging voice in your, in your head that says you should be amongst other believers? So that's the where. Where are you? If you shift the emphasis, it speaks of now. Now, since I've moved from Vusta, I'm actually from Strand, Somerset West area. And that's where I met Cheryl and She was in my youth when she was standing six. That's how long ago <laughs> we met when she could still do flick flacks <laughs> and back somersaults and went overseas for gymnastics. I wanted to call you up to do it, but I wasn't sure. Okay. <laughs> so where are you? You see, the emphasis is on now. Um, as I moved to Sunningdale, I realized that I'm the odd one out. I don't surf, I do this thing called submarining. You know, uh, <laughs> so, so everybody surfs. 
But here's the thing. You can't surf yesterday's wave. You can't. You've got to swim out again and do it again. So where are you? Some of us are sitting here, and when we start a conversation, we say, you know, you know, when I, 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 used, to, I used to lead the, the Christian movement at church, but you're 57. So that was a while ago, like when you came into youth. Or maybe you, you led the Christian movement at school, and, and you're 57 now, and, and that's like very long ago. And some of us, you'll hear, you can hear where a person stopped in his walk to God. Because that's where he'll pick up. When he talks to you. The example is with Mary at the tomb. Because she left Jesus at the tomb, when she came back, she did not look for a risen Savior. She came to the place where she left him lost. And that was in the tomb. Actually, in, in John it says, and she sat opposite the tomb. Watching Joseph and Nicodemus uh, uh, bombing Jesus and putting him in the grave. And because she left him lo there lost, that's where she came back to. So often when people start speaking about what they did when they were, they were in their teenage years or when they were in their early 20s or just married, it gives you indication where they stopped their relationship with Jesus. So I'm asking you, where are you? Are you still talking about yesteryear? Or do you have fresh testimonies of the goodness of God? God still heals. God still supplies your need. God still, God still responds to your prayer. It's, it's important that we as believers have current testimonies of the goodness of God. Often we, I come across people who, who teach around healing and we have conversations and I say, okay, so, so, so when did somebody get healed last? No, 20 years ago, you know, we prayed for somebody and they got healed. And that's great, but that's 20 years ago. There's got to be fresh manner. Every day there needs to be fresh manner. So, so where are you? It's not about where you plan to be. It's not where you were yesterday. It's your relationship with God, yourself and others right now, right here. Where are you? And then this thing about the, 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 the emphasis shifts to you. Where are you? Now, I remember a story that I read as a, a little boy. So this is a testimony of years ago. <laughs> I read a story of a mouse and an elephant that walked over a wooden bridge. And when they got to the other side, the mouse said, Ooh, we made that bridge shake, eh? It was, it was us that made the bridge shake. And, and sometimes we find, we find comfort in being part of a movement that's doing well. Sometimes we find comfort in a, in, a, in a calm group that's doing well. But that doesn't mean that you're doing well. And that's why God's asking the question, where are you? Because, because the thing is, Curses flows in the bloodline, but salvation doesn't. You have to be born again. You need a relationship with God. So often, people assume that because they're born in a Christian country, they are Christians. Because they attend a, a, a fellowship where most people are believing Christians, that makes them a Christian. At the moment, we're living in Melbourne in a granny flight. doesn't make me a granny. 
Where are you? You see, you could be married to the most wonderful believer. It still doesn't make you a believer. You could be married to somebody who's walking in the purposes of God. It doesn't mean that you are fulfilling the purposes to which God has called you. So where are you? To get to that answer, to get to the place where we can answer this, we need to go back and see how did we get here? How did, how did Adam and Eve get to a place where God needed to ask this question? And I find that this is still very pertinent in today's life. I mean, right in the beginning, we find these, these principles, and actually today, they're still, they're still applicable. So firstly, as, as Eve wandered in the garden, there was a voice of deception. The voice of deception from the enemy. And that's why it's important. That's why submitting under eldership, submitting under leadership is important. Because in a state where Adam and Eve were still perfect, where the flesh hasn't taken over yet, she couldn't even resist the voice of temptation, the vo voice of deception. There was no sin yet, and she could not resist the voice of deception. Can you imagine how much more difficult it will be for us to identify, to discern, to identify the voice of deception because flesh has become such a strong thing in our lives. So the voice of deception is so powerful and it blindsides us. It's easy to read chapter 3 and I said, but how could she have been, and, and, and the original Greek word is dof. How could she have been so dof <laughs> to, to actually... To actually listen to a snake talking. I mean, she should have known something's wrong when the snakes start talking. But she was blindsided. And that warning, that warning becomes so much more serious for us. Because we're in a battle with the flesh all the time. And we get blindsided by the voice of deception. And therefore, it's important. Maybe you're visiting here today. Maybe you're not sure where, to, where you slot in. Maybe, maybe like somebody here, you might think, is this a cult or not? No, it's not. I promise you, if you stick around, as, as Moses said to his brother-in-law, when, when they started moving, his brother-in-law wasn't sure, should he go with Moses or not? And Moses said to his brother-in-law, brother come and walk with us. We will do you good. Because God is leading us. And I want to say to you, if you're visiting and you, you're looking for a place to settle, come and walk with us. We will do you good. Because, not because of us, but because of our good God. We serve a good God. And if you're looking for a relationship with God, you've come to the right place. And Kevin has paid me to say that, so I've done my dues. <laughs> but guys, I cannot overemphasize the importance of submitting to godly leadership. Because other, otherwise we run the same uh, danger of being blindsided by the voice of deception. The voice of deception, actually, when, when the enemy spoke to, to Eve, he said, did God say? And, and when she said, yes, God said, he said, surely you will not die. He's making an illegitimate promise. I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like you buy a Mercedes and, and the Hyundai dealership tells you, we give you a lifetime guarantee. 
it's, it's not their car. They can say what they like. It's an illegitimate promise. So the enemy had no right to give her a promise that he, couldn't, he wasn't intending to keep. He said, God will not do that. So, so, so the voice of deception brings illegitimate promises and then you start claiming promises that was never meant to be. Make sure that when you claim a promise, it's one that God gave you. And to understand that and to know that you're right in what you're believing, you need to be in a relationship with God. Then God shouldn't be calling to you today asking you, where are you? The other thing that stood out, he said, the, the enemy said to, to Eve, God knows that if you take of the fruit, you will be like him. And that's the other thing about the voice of deception. It gives partial truth. He, it, was, it, it was true, but it wasn't the whole truth. See, God knew that, that he had to put a limitation on what they could eat. He said, you can eat from every tree, but not that one in the middle. Because God knew that if they, they ate of that fruit... Not only would they know good and evil, they would not be able to resist the evil that they will now be able to see. God knew more than what the enemy told them he would know. See, God knew that if they go that route, then ultimately mankind will be drawn away from God, will be separated from God. God made man for fellowship. He wanted fellowship. And we sinned and we were drawn away, separated from God. And God knew far more than what the enemy told Eve, God knows. And sometimes we want the forbidden fruit. And we can't understand why we can't have it. It's because God knows you can't handle it. We keep on and we start fasting for the forbidden fruit. We pray. We get, we get the whole come to pray with us. And we pray for that, but God knows that you can't handle what you're asking for. That's why I say it's important that we're in right relationship with God. That he doesn't come seeking for us, having to call us and say, where are you? So the next thing that in that process, as, as, as the enemy speaks to Eve and says to her, God knows and God won't judge, is 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 lying to her and comforting her. And she goes and she looks at the tree of good and evil. The tree that was in the middle of the garden. The tree of knowledge and of good and evil. She looks at that tree. And it says here in verse, can we just find it quickly? Um, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the problem. To know what, if you want to know what the problem really was in the garden, she looked at the tree of, the, of knowledge and good and evil, and she said, it is good for food. Now, if you backtrack a bit, you'll find that in, in, in chapter 2, God raised up plants that was um, pleasant in the sight and good for food. But this tree wasn't meant to be food. So what's happening is God says you can't, in his sovereignty, he says, you can't eat of this fruit. Don't touch that tree. She looks at it, at it and she devalues the sovereignty of God. 
She devalues the word of God because the word of God said, God spoke and said, do not touch. And she goes, it's good for fruit. It's good for food. Now, I can understand the problem because I look at stuff and it's always good for food. <laughs> but there are, things that, there are things that God say that we should not question. And often, it's still the same problem today. God gives certain instructions and we, He knows that we can't handle it. All we need to do is obedience. And we go, but I don't understand it. And we argue with fellow Christians and we argue with God because we don't understand. But God never said that this walk with Him will be a logic. It's a faith. It's not meant to be logic. And we try and reason around why is it like that? Why can't I have that? Why can't I marry so-and-so? Why can't I drive that car? God knew Land Rover was going to drop you somewhere. There's only two things that you can see from outer space. The Great Wall in China and the, the gaps in the doors of a Land Rover. <laughs> see, the voice of reason, the voice of deception and the voice of reason will make you devalue the sovereignty of God. And we still do that. People argue about things in the, in the church of Jesus Christ. They argue about things that they want and that they demand that Jesus never said we should want or demand. We argue about a lot of stuff, and I'm not going to get into that right now. But the point is, the moment you start arguing, ask yourself, am I devaluing the sovereignty of God? The next thing... Can a strong guy open this for me, please? Am I, did I answer wrong guy? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Here's the thing. When you devalue the sovereignty of God, you have contempt for his favor. That's why she took and ate. And often we take and eat of things that God, God has not put there for food. We take and eat and we devalue and we, we stand in contempt of the favor of God. So God's asking you again, where are you? Is that where you're living at? Is that your challenge? That your lifestyle challenges what God said, instead of being obedient to what God said. And the cause of, of, or the effect of that in the end was, when she took and when she ate, it says here in verse 7, then the eyes of both were open and they knew they were naked. They knew they were naked. And often we think, in terms of just physical nakedness. When, they opened, when their eyes were opened, yes, they realized they were naked. But they also realized what they were stripped from by eating of that fruit. Listen to this. They were stripped from their likeness 
When God said, let us make man in our likeness, that means incorruptible. That means that the, 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 they, were, they had no sin at that stage. They, that means relationship with God where he would come in the cool of the evening and walk amongst them. Where he provided a garden for them to eat. And then after they ate, they had to really work hard and, and toil. And, and by the sweat of their brow, they would, they would get in, in their bread. As their eyes opened, they realized they lost all that. They were stripped of all of that. Yes, it was that they were naked as physically as well. But they were stripped of everything that God intended and blessed them with originally. It wasn't just the nakedness with their clothes. It was the provision, the incorruption that they were living in. Because it's when, it's when they sinned. The Bible said, when you eat, you will surely die. And although didn't, Adam didn't fall over and die, but corruption came in. And therefore, death came in because of the first Adam. And then it says, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths or aprons you see a fig leaf a fig leaf can never be enough covering for sin that's how stupid that covering was but here's something I want to challenge you with now I mean I suppose in our garden because our stuff don't grow that big be a miracle if we get a fig leaf that's this size eh but, but let's say, let's say, because it was a garden that God created, that the fig leaf was this size. And so as I read scripture and as I study scripture, I've seen that what they did was the moment their eyes opened and they realized they were naked, they took a fig leaf and put it on their head as covering. And now people's theology is challenged. <laughs> they put it on their head. <laughs> No, they didn't. They made themselves a loincloth. And this is not your loin. Okay? But here's the thing. Immediately in their nakedness, they realized they needed to cover up their loins. And, 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 and we see that as the result of sin. But we have degenerated so far that we don't cover up our nakedness anymore. That's why people live together. Because they're not ashamed of their nakedness anymore. You see, when they realized they were naked, they put fig leaves on to cover their nakedness. And it specifically says in the area of their loins. So I see some people with children here and all grown up, so, so you know what I'm talking about. Okay, I don't have to explain that part. The part that I will explain is this. Sin has become so bad that in today's life, people will take the fig leaf and put it across their heart. You, we will live together, but you'll never see my heart. I'll never expose my heart to you. We'll jump in the same bed. You can see my nakedness, but I won't allow you to see my heart. That's how far sin has gone. And almost, I almost want to say, let's just get back to, the, to Genesis 3 where the fig leaf is at least in the right place. 
But we've got into a place. We will compromise our nakedness, but never, cover, but never give our hearts. And that's why marriages are in the state that they're in. That's why relationships are in the state that they're in, because relationships has become, relationships has become about the physical, not about the heart. And maybe this is a free, free counseling session for those who are married. God's asking you, where are you in your marriage? He's asking you, where is the fig leaf positioned in your marriage? Is it over the heart? Because if it's there, you're going to have trouble in your marriage. Because we need to be connected in our hearts. So if a fig leaf doesn't seem like good enough covering for sin, then, then the excuses that you've come up with so far isn't good enough either. If you're finding it funny that they try to cover sin with a fig leaf, then you should listen to some of the excuses you come up with. So here's the thing. The consequences of sin. It says here, the Lord God called to man. Where are you? And they didn't respond immediately. They were hiding. And that's the consequence of sin. Sometimes we find people, they walk with God. They're excited for God. They, they, they lead youth or they lead a, a calm group. They lead worship. They're on fire for God. And then suddenly they move to the perimeter. And then later they're standing in the parking area. And then later you just don't see them anymore. And then a while later they come back and they may be married and they, they just don't slot in and they just don't pick up where they, where they left off. And you know why? Because there's sin that has not been dealt with. And this might sound strange to you, but I want you to think about it because it's biblical. We call upon the blood of Jesus to cover sin. We call upon the blood of Jesus to forgive our sin. But the blood of Jesus does not cover sin that we will not uncover. So we cannot just slip in and, and come and sit and just not repent. If, if sin has entered in, if we have compromised, if, if, if our faith has been compromised, we need to get to a place of repentance. A place of saying, God, I've sinned. And so many people, and I, I'm going to wrap this up now. Some, so many people are living in one of the following three spaces. It says here, I hid myself. I didn't become fully involved. I didn't give myself to the bride of Christ. I didn't give myself to the church. I didn't give myself to the works of the gospel. I did not give myself because I was afraid. I was naked. And I hid myself because of that. And that translates to the three following things. It re relates to fear, shame, and guilt. Many people are battling to find their way back to God because of fear, shame, and guilt. See, fear replaces or competes with faith. It's impossible to have faith if fear is running your life. And maybe fear has come in because you've lost a job. Maybe something's happened that your circumstances have changed and you fear 
Will you be able to look after yourself, your family? Will there be enough for the future? Maybe I don't know what the fear is that, that's driving you. But it could be that you're hiding from God because fear is so predominant in your life. Then God wants to deal with that fear in your life. It says here that, he said, I was naked. And nakedness translates to shame. If you go further back, I'll just read it. I didn't put it up there. Um, chapter 2, verse 34, 24 says, Therefore man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. You see, nakedness within the parameters that God says doesn't bring shame. But nakedness outside of the set parameters of the word of God brings shame. And maybe, maybe, maybe your nakedness was exposed because of somebody else forcing his will on you. And you're battling with that. God can take that away today. God can remove that burden out of your life today. There's no reason to hide from God. Because even if you're amongst the bushes hiding from God, he still sees you. So God wants to remove fear. He wants to remove shame. And he wants to remove guilt. Because when we are guilty, when we feel guilt, we tend to withdraw. We don't feel good enough. And if you feel guilty about something that has happened, that you've done, or something that has happened to you, then God wants to remove that guilt from you today. There's no reason to live in, in that position of fear Guilt and shame. Because Jesus, when he died on the cross, dealt with all of that. And today, as we believe in him, as we put our trust in him, he sets us free. So I'm going to pray. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or anything. But if, you, if, if sin has brought you to a place where you're battling with either fear or shame, or guilt, or maybe a combination of the three, maybe all three, then I want you to know that the same God that healed that woman with cancer is the same God who deals with that issue today. The same God that restored a man who was paralyzed on one side and can preach again, the same God deals with that issue. But you need to not reach out to the forbidden fruit. You need to reach out to Jesus. Repent of your sin and allow him to restore you. Is that okay? I'm going to pray for you. Father God, I thank you that you're the same God today as you always have been. You haven't changed. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. And I pray, Lord God, specifically for those who might be battling with fear, guilt, or shame because they have reached out and touch the forbidden fruit. I pray that they will experience your redemptive love here, right now, this afternoon. I pray, Lord God, that you come and remove as they repent and put their trust in you, that you will remove the sin issue as far as the east is from the west. And we give you glory for what you're doing right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, Clarence. That was fantastic. That was a really good word. Um, yeah, just before we close, um, I know you prayed for the areas of guilt and um, shame and fear. But the, earlier on, he spoke about where he asked the question, where are you? And he spoke about some people that refer back to years ago. Um, or that you feel that you're part of the church, but actually deep down, things aren't lacking. Um, you know you're not where you need to be. And it's almost like early on in worship, we had felt that sense that God said, those who draw near to him, he draw near to them. And I felt there's opportunity for those that's maybe just drifted. <laughs> you were on fire once before, but you just drifted. You know you're not where God wants you to be. You're still speaking about surfing that wave ages ago to draw near to God. Or maybe you know that you've been quite a tyrant at home and your wife is like, like I don't go to church with you anymore. And you just want to deal with that and say, God, I'm drawing near to you. I want to repent of that. I want to pray for you. Also, you don't have to stand or raise your hand. But if that's you, then you just want to respond to the Lord while I pray. So God, we, we don't want to get stuck and, become, and look back to years ago and become like a pillar of salt, God, where we're so focused on what's behind us and we're not reaching out, straining to what lays ahead of us. God, you've prepared good works for us to walk in. And God, we don't want to look back and speak about the things that we've done in the past. We want to lay hold of everything that you have for us. And we want to embrace the good works that you've prepared for us today and tomorrow and the next day and the months and years to come, Lord. We want to follow you, Lord. We want to follow you and not get stuck. And God, if, if we've maybe in a place and we know we're not where we should be, and um, we, we're not loving to our children or wives, God, or, or at home or at work. We're not reflecting Christ. Today, we want to repent of that. And we want to change our ways. We want to reflect you. We want to shine the life of Jesus. We want to be a city on a hill that's not here. So, Lord, we draw near to you. And, God, would you come and change? We come to you. Loving God. Amen.